You guys ready to talk about your feelings? Some of you have a sudden need to go to the restroom. You're like, I'm done. Gotta get out of here. Um, so glad that you guys uh, came, some of you came back. Cause, and you knew that we were going to talk about emotions, and you came back anyway. So glad you did. And uh, if you missed last week, I want to let you know, uh, it would be really helpful if you went back and, and listened to that message online, because this series is going to kind of build uh, on uh, each previous week. And so if you missed the last one, it'd be good to go back and catch up. I'm going to give you a quick review uh, before we jump in today. But uh, I want to start with our key verse for this series. It's from Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. And this is our memory verse for the series. So if, if, if you like memorizing Scripture, um, do this. If you don't like memorizing Scripture, do this. Um, just because It's just one sentence. It's really short, and it's super helpful. And it was written by what many believe is the wisest you know, man who ever lived, Solomon. Uh, this is his advice. So we're going to read this together out loud in English. Are you ready? Guard your heart above all else. For it determines the course of your life. Got it? You guys got it? All right, close your eyes. Let's do it again. You ready? Go ahead, close your eyes. Don't fall asleep on me. Are you ready? Here we go. Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. And uh, all you cheaters, it's just between me and you. Nobody else knows. I, I think that that is something that we overlook uh, in our world. We, we tend to operate as though uh, our heads determine the course of our lives, our brains, what we think. The decisions that we make come from up here, right? The choices come from up here. But Solomon would say, actually, no, your heart, your heart determines the course of your life. And Jesus would echo this in Matthew chapter 15 when he says, for the things that come out of the mouth come from the heart. We go, no, 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 that can't be right. It's that this stuff comes from my head. I, I make decisions. I have reason and logic. But Solomon and Jesus said this way ahead of time, and then now we, we know through, through psychology and, and uh, sociology that this is, this is true, that even though we think we're rational human beings, most of our decisions start in our hearts with our desires and our emotions. And not paying attention to those desires and emotions can get us into a lot of trouble. I mean, how many times have you uh, said something out loud and, and thought immediately, where did that come from? I, I, I didn't mean to say that. I don't even know those words. Those are words aren't really even in my head. Yeah, they're in your heart. That's where they came from. That's why we have to guard our hearts. That's what, why emotional health is so important. Emotional health is the greatest indicator of your performance and success as an individual. Uh, above your IQ, above your education, above all of that is your emotional health. That, that determines how well you're going to do at things, including follow Jesus. If, if your life is structured around being a Christian, if that's the, the identifying characteristic of you, then your emotional health plays a huge role in your ability to live out the life that God has created you for. So that's what we talked about last week, just how to get our emotions out on the table, to honor them, to acknowledge my emotion is neither good nor evil. It's, it's what I do, how I process it, and what, what kind of control I let it have in my life that can produce good, which is moving me closer to God, or something bad, which is moving me away from God and, and breaking relationships in my life. So we, we learn to examine our emotions, get them out on the table, to name them. How many of you took a feelings wheel home last week? And did, who used it? Did anybody get this out at, at lunch and just go, all right, everyone, let's talk about it. How, what, what are you feeling? 
Probably not, because you're still here. So uh, I think it's a great tool, and you you should use it. So if you didn't get a feelings wheel last week, you should grab one. There's a resource table out there, and I'll talk more about that in a minute. But then once we know what we're feeling and why we're feeling it, we we have to think about what do we do with that emotion? Where do we put it? And so we're going to kind of pick up there today and move forward. How, How do we keep these feelings and emotions from controlling us? Because I think many times... We, we say or do something that uh, is damaging to ourselves or to someone around us, to a relationship in our lives, because of an emotion that we allowed to control us. We let our anger or our fear or our frustration tell us what to do. What, what would change about Facebook and Twitter if no one ever posted anything because their emotions told them to? Can you imagine? It, it, hasn't that happened to you? And you've, you've seen it happen. Somebody starts with a, a, a sentence and then someone else instantly disagrees with that and it makes them mad and then you read it and then you get mad and, and you post something and it's just this unending chain of outrage, right? It didn't used to be that way. Used to you had to call somebody if you wanted to respond to something that they had said. And and so you had this time to process. You had to dial. You remember that? And so if there's a lot of eights and nines in the phone number, you got a lot of time to think before you actually get somebody on the other end because an eight is like, you know, it's all the way around. For those of you that don't understand what I'm talking about, just look at somebody older and ask, what in the world is he saying up there? Telephones. They were great. Let's bring them back. I, I think we need, we need to learn how to keep our emotions from controlling us. I think you want to do this. I know that you have some regrets in your life that were the result of you responding out of emotion, of you letting a desire or an emotion tell you what to do. You have those regrets. And, and if you would stop and think about it for a minute and think about your future, you don't want more of those moments, do you? You're not hoping that you say something out of anger later today, are you? You're not hoping that you cross a line out of following a desire later today, are you? You're not hoping that happens, but yet it happens to us all the time. So is there a way to look at our emotions and say, you can't tell me what to do? Like I honor and acknowledge that I'm feeling this way, but you don't get to tell me what to do. Is there a way? I believe that there is. I believe God who created us, he gave us emotions as a gift, has also given us a way to move forward, a way to live a life that is not controlled by our desires and our emotions. And so we're going to dive into some scripture today and figure out what God has to say and how we can uh, hopefully implement this into our own lives and, and make some progress here. And remember, this is not just about you getting more emotionally healthy. As you grow in emotional health, the people around you will grow in emotional health. The people around you, the relationships around you will get better. Some of you have someone sitting next to you that's going, please, pay attention. Because <laughs> your, your emotional unhealth is destructive. It's damaging our family. Maybe you don't, you don't say those words out loud, but you're thinking it like, man, you, you really need to, this would be great if you would get this figured out. So maybe you're taking notes for somebody else today, or if you're honest, you need some help. In this area as well. We're going to start in Galatians chapter 5. This is a letter that Paul wrote. Uh, Paul who planted churches all over the place and he wrote this letter to these churches in the region of Galatia. Now a lot of Paul's letters kind of follow a similar pattern. He starts off by saying, hey, God has 
God has poured out so much grace and mercy on you. And I, I'm so proud of, of, of you for receiving that. And, and, and God made a way for you to actually overcome the, this obstacle of sin so that you could have this relationship with God. And now, now that you have this relationship with God, here's how you're supposed to live. Here's what that is going to produce in your life. And so in Galatians, we're, we're going to be in chapter 5 towards the end when Paul has already kind of set up like, God has given you grace through Jesus and you've accepted that grace. Therefore, this is what your life looks like when you live under the grace of Jesus. So, what does Paul have to say? Let's start in verse 19. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. All right, I'm going to pause right there. The works of the flesh, when Paul says the works of the flesh, he's talking about our sinful nature. He's not just talking about your body like your body is not evil. But we have this thing inside of us that started all the way back in the garden with Adam and Eve that says, I am going to do whatever my desires and my emotions tell me to do. I'm going to let my desires and emotions tell me what to do. That's, that's the sinful nature in us, right? And, and Paul says there are, there are some certain characteristics of the sinful nature. And, and this is what it produces in your life. All right, you guys ready for this list? Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissension, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. Whew! That's, that is not a PG movie or a PG-13 movie, is it? That, that if, you, if you go to a parent-teacher conference and your teacher says, let me ex- tell you what I've seen in your child, and it's, it's some of this stuff, you're like, oh, no, <laughs> we've, we failed, we blew it. You know, if, if you're dating someone and you say, hey, just tell me a little bit about yourself, and then some of this stuff gets listed, you're like, okay, I'm out, check, check, please, see ya, right? Th- these are not desirable, qual- nobody looks at these and goes, yeah, that's, that sounds like the kind of life I want. That sounds like the kind of life I want the people around me to live. No, those are the works of the flesh. Those are the product of us tell, letting our desires and emotions tell us what to do. We pursue that, and it produces this. And here's the warning that comes along with it. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. You cannot think that if your life is characterized by these things, that you have the kind of relationship with Jesus that you need for salvation. Don't be fooled. If this stuff is showing up in your life regularly, if this is a part of of, of how you you would describe your life, you need to understand that you don't have the relationship with Jesus that maybe you think you have, and you have no part in the kingdom of God. It's a strong warning. But, he says, the fruit of the Spirit. Now, the fruit of the Spirit is when we say, I'm going to let the Spirit of God tell me what to do. I'm not going to let my desires and my emotions control me. I'm going to let the Spirit of God control me. Now, what does that look like? The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. If you're at a parent-teacher conference and the teacher says, let me tell you what I see in your child, and it's this list, you're like, yes. I don't know where that comes from, but I'm so happy. Right? Like, that's a different kind of, that's the kind of thing where we all go, man, I need more of that in my life. I need more patience in my life. I need more kindness. I need more self-control in my life. We look at that list and go, I want to be like that. And how does it happen? Well, Paul says, "This, this is the people who, 
who let the Spirit of God tell them what to do, right? So this is what we're talking about is self-management, self-management, which is a product of self-awareness, which we talked about last week. This is why it's important you catch that message. If your self-awareness is low, you're not going to be good at self-management. So you need, to, you need to start with self-awareness. As you grow in that, you can grow in self-management. And self-management is being able to say, I can put my wants and my needs on hold. I don't have to be driven by my emotions. And Paul is saying that comes from saying the Holy Spirit is the one who gets to tell me what to do, who gets to decide where I go. Self-management is deciding to respond in healthy ways to the people and circumstances in my life, whether positive or negative, whether they meet my expectations or they don't. Here's the problem. I don't have enough willpower to always respond in healthy ways to the people and circumstances in my life, whether they're positive or negative. So my best bet is going to be to delegate authority over my emotions to someone who's going to be better at it the Spirit of God. So we can proactively move in the direction of self-management. I, I think sometimes we get a little, uh, we, we give up too easy on this because the reality is you don't decide to be impatient, do you? You don't just wake up in the morning and go, I'm not gonna have patience with anybody today, so I hope you don't get in my way, right? You don't decide to be unkind. You, you, don't, just, you don't just walk into a room and go, I'm just gonna be so mean to everyone in here right now. We don't decide those things. Those things are responses to circumstances that don't meet our expectations, right? I, I'm sitting in the doctor's office, and my appointment was at 10, and it's now 1034, and I'm wondering if this person is ever going to honor my time like I'm paying to honor his time, <laughs> right? Aren't those the thoughts that you're having in your head? And so our frustration and our anger, we didn't walk in there planning to get angry, but we walk out angry because it's a response. It's kind of a conditioned response. It's a tendency. And so we go, what am I supposed to do? That just, that stuff just happens. I didn't decide to get angry. I didn't decide to say that. I didn't decide to do that. Is there any hope for me? There absolutely is hope. We can learn to turn control of our desires and emotions over to the Holy Spirit, but we need a plan. We absolutely need a plan. Uh, a lot of times we just think, I'm just, I'll do better tomorrow, right? Uh, I didn't do so hot today, and I'm going back into the same environment tomorrow, and for some reason, I think if I say the words, I'll do better tomorrow, that I'll magically do better tomorrow. And then tomorrow comes, and we don't do better, and we're like, oh, dang it, I blew it again. I'll do better tomorrow. That's not a plan, is it? Right? That's like saying, I'm going to go to Chicago tomorrow. And then you go to sleep tonight, and you wake up in the morning, and you're still here, and you're like, well, why am I not in Chicago? I said yesterday, I made the decision yesterday to go to Chicago. Why am I not in Chicago? Because you didn't have a plan. You didn't execute a plan, right? We need a plan. If we're going to learn to manage ourselves, if we're going to learn to say no to our desires and not be controlled by them, we need a plan. And that plan um, is going to involve uh, tur turning these emotions over to Jesus. So let me show you a video of of our dog. This is our dog, uh, Cedric. Cedric is a uh, beagle. What is he? Beagle Dachshund. He loves to go outside. As you can see, he gets really excited 
to go outside, especially with Sarah, because he loves Sarah. But um, what Cedric would want most in the world is if we would just open that door and let him run. That's his idea of a good life, you know? Just let me run out and go where I want to go and do what I want to do. But we've been around Cedric long enough to know that if we turn him loose like that, he's running straight into the street. For some reason, he loves moving vehicles. He, th he just thinks they're toys that he can play with. And he would run straight into the street and get hit. Or he would run down the street. We have a... Uh, we think he's probably a retired police dog, German Shepherd, that lives down the street that Cedric's pretty sure he can take. So he, we have had to physically separate them before, but he would run straight down the street and try to fight that dog and get eaten. And so we don't just open the door and let him run. We put him on a leash, right? And the leash Cedric hates. In fact, we had to buy a certain kind of leash because he chewed through what? Ten? I mean, like, he just chews through them. If you, don't, if you get, like, the retractable ones that are, uh, he just chews right through those because he hates this thing. But this thing has saved his life probably every day, right? So we put him on a leash, and now Cedric doesn't get to go where he wants. He goes where I want. And he goes at the pace I want to go, right? But he still gets to be outside. He still gets to run free. So here's the thing. We need a leash on our emotions, I think sometimes we feel like the best self-care we can do is just let our emotions run. If you feel it, do it. If you think it, say it. Let your emotions run wild. How many times has that caught you in the middle of the street getting hit by a bus? We need a leash on our emotions so that they go where we want them to go. But here's the problem. We can't even trust ourselves to hold the end of this leash. We're going to need somebody else to hold the end of this leash because we have proven that we're not going to go the right place at the right pace all the time. So here's what Jesus offers in John chapter 15. This is, uh, this is the kind of thing that you highlight in your Bible if you're a highlighter. This is the kind of thing that you, if you're a memorizer, you memorize this or you, you write this on a note card somewhere and stick it on a mirror. Remain in me and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it's severed from the vine, and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. You remember the fruit of the Spirit? You remember love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, self-control? If you want that kind of fruit in your life, Jesus is saying, here's where it starts. Remain in me. Yes, I am the vine. You are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. There's going to be a lot of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control in your life if you remain in Christ. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Another way to say that is whatever you do apart from me is nothing. Whatever you may feel like you're doing stuff, but if Jesus is not at the center of it, it amounts to nothing. It has no staying power. It's not eternal. If you want fruit that lasts Remain in Jesus. He continues, Anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers. Such branches are gathered into a pile to be burned. Again, this is the warning. If you're not producing the kind of fruit that is characteristic of a follower of Jesus, if it doesn't look like love, joy, peace, patience, if it doesn't look like all that, then you're not connected to the vine. Right? But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want, 
and it will be granted. When you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. This brings great glory to my Father. All right, let's see how your, your comprehension skills are doing. Summarize that passage in one word. Go. Remain, right? I'm trying to help you out. I, I know you guys are smart. You just, like, what does he want me to If I say the wrong thing, is, is there going to be lightning or what's going to happen? Okay, you, it's, it's perfectly safe. Remain. He says remain over and over and over again. Some translations use abide, or you can say stay, just stay. James Shields shared with me that the, the Spanish is a form of the word permanent. I can't say the Spanish word, but it's, it's the word permanent. Like it's stay, remain, stay, abide. That's the main idea. Jesus is like a very patient teacher. Have you had those teachers that will just repeat the same thing because they know you're a little slow and they're like, okay, don't forget. Don't forget to remain. Don't forget to remain. Don't forget to remain. Remain, remain, remain. This is the plan. This is the plan for turning over the leash of our emotions to someone who's going to be so much better at it. Jesus says, if you want to see the fruit of love and joy and peace and patience in your life, you're not responsible. You're not, you don't have enough willpower to do this by yourself. You need some help. If you, will, if you will remain in me, stay connected to me, I'll tell you where to go. I'll lead you at, to the right places, at the right paces. I'll take care of you. This is the plan. Now, many of us know this plan. You've heard this plan. you like, I know. I need to be closer to Jesus. I know I need, I know. I know I need to go to church more. Um, I know I need to read my Bible more. I know I need to pray more. I know. I know, I know. But you, you actually haven't executed any plan in this direction. You just kind of hoped. I hope as I get older, I hope as I get older, it'll be more important to me to come to church. Or maybe when we have kids, or maybe when our kids are out of the house and we're not so busy, or maybe when I retire. And those are, those are not plans. Those are hopes and wishes. And you need a plan, and you need to execute a plan to stay connected to Jesus if you want to see progress in this area of your life. So we need, we need a, a consistent practice to build into our lives that helps us do this. Because we can't, we're not just going to get there by wishing, right? So what is the practice that you've built in? For some of you, it's like, okay, I'm, that means I'm supposed to go to church, right? If I show up at church one hour a week, um, or I mean, let's be honest, one hour every other week or twice a month or every other month, then I, that's connecting to Jesus, right? That's, I'm remaining, right? Well, if, if you have a, a flower pot in your house, you put a flower in the soil and you water it one hour a week and then you take it out of the soil and you set it on the counter until next week and you come back and you put it back in the soil and try to water it, what, what, are, what do you have? You have, a, you have a dead flower. It's one hour a week, even if you were consistent enough to be here every Sunday, it's not enough. Now, I hope that you would do that. I think this is really important. What we do here is so important. It's just not enough to produce the kind of fruit that we want to see. And you know that because you've tried it. You're like, oh, I, there, were, there was a time when I didn't miss, you know, every time the doors were open. But it didn't produce the kind of fruit that you want because it's, it's just, it's not what remain means. Remain means always. Now, does that mean that you should just move in here, set up, you know, we could set you up a cot right here, and um, I, there's goldfish, I think, in the nursery, and you could just live here. Is that what it means to remain in Jesus? No. This building is not Jesus. 
I like this building. It's very nice. But this building is not Jesus. This building is not even the church. It's just a building. You are the church, and Jesus is the one who says, remain in, in me. And so, so maybe you've taken this a step further, and you've done like, okay, I'm going to do a quiet time every morning, and I'm going to spend this time in prayer and study, 20 minutes every morning. And, and you hit that maybe four times a week, maybe five times a week. Some of you at six or seven times a week, and you hit that. Is that enough? Well, you tell me. When you have your quiet time, do you ever, do you ever, you know, maybe you do that, let's say you do it at 7 o'clock in the morning before you go to work, and you're like, you know, that, that's your time. And then by 9 o'clock, your boss is already yelling at you for something that you didn't know you were supposed to do, or you thought you'd already done, and now you're, you know, you've got this conflict happening. And by 10 o'clock, somebody else is already, you know, you're yelling at them for something they didn't do that they were supposed to do, and it made you look bad. And by noon... You have no idea whatever you studied and read in the morning is gone, and you're just, it's just emotion time. It's like, I want out of here, and I'm mad at everyone. And Here's what I'm going to suggest. That remain has is, is got to be more consistent than just one hour a week or 20 minutes in the morning. And there, I think there's a way to do that. So I'm going to suggest a plan to you. Now, this is not the only plan. This is just a plan. This is an idea uh, called the daily office. The idea behind the daily office is that you take that, let's say you have 20 minutes a day that you think that you can commit, that you break that up in, instead of doing a one 20-minute chunk, you do it four five-minute chunks in the day. And maybe you do it at seven and, and 11 and three and seven. And those five-minute chunks you use to reconnect yourself with Christ, to go, once again, to look at Jesus and go, oops, sorry, I grabbed this leash back from you, and you're supposed to be the one holding the leash, so will you take this back? Because I don't need to be controlled by my emotions. Five minutes, four times a day. The daily office is kind of a practice that was started by um, some monks a long time ago, and they would do eight times a day, where they would just stop and say, okay, remind God, remind me who I am. Remind me what I'm supposed to be doing here. Remind me that I'm not supposed to be in charge, but the Holy Spirit is supposed to be in charge. Remind me that I can't produce love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control by myself, but you can. Remind me of that over and over again every single day. Now, that sounds like a lot, doesn't it? But it's not that hard. In fact, if, if, if you're just looking at me and honestly going, I can't stop for five minutes, in the day, I'm going to look back at you and say, then you are too busy doing things that are not that important. They're not as important as this. Five minutes, maybe just start with, maybe let's try two times a day. Set an alarm on your phone that says daily office. For You pick the times, 8, 12, 5, and 8. Five minutes each time. And just see what happens. Now, let me give you some tips on how to um, do the daily office. There are some, some important uh, pieces of it that I think are really helpful. Uh, number one, you, you have to stop. You, you can't rush through this, and you can't multitask through this. You have to stop. It doesn't have to be a long time. It just has to be some focused time, okay? Number two, center. This is kind of like clear your mind. I know, this is the hardest part for me. Like, I have so many other thoughts and things I got to do and decisions I got to make and people I got to talk to. That to clear my mind for five minutes of all of that 
It's a challenge, but I'm learning to do it. And a lot of that has to do with your posture. Just sit straight, sit still. Breathe slower, breathe deeper. Next, silence. I know this is hard for a lot of people. I like to have music on. I like to have the TV in the background, noise. Silence. Silence is a treasure if you can get it. No music in your ears, no TV in the background. Maybe listen to your breathing, I don't know. And scripture. Number four is scripture. It doesn't have to be long chunks. You don't have to read, you know, six chapters a day. Something you can read in 30 seconds. So you can read it twice. Short. Read it twice. Pray about it. Meditate on it. Ask some questions about it. Right? That's, that's kind of the basic structure of a daily office time. And here's the thing. Here's what I, I need to make really clear. You're, you're not doing this so that God will be happy with you, okay? God is not impressed with how many times a day you stop and pray. God is far more interested in how you interact with the people around you than he is in how many Bible verses you have memorized. This is not for you to earn God's admiration or pleasure. This is so you can be the kind of person who lives out the life that God created you to live. If you're going to be a person that the fruit of your life looks like love, joy, peace, patience, I'm going to say it again, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, if you're going to be that kind of person, this is for you. This is to help you get there, help you get to a place where handing off the leash to, of your emotions to Jesus becomes easier and easier every time. It's difficult, but it's absolutely worth it. Think about the relationships in your life that would get better if you would stop letting your emotions tell you what to do. Think about the decision-making process that you have that would just get so much better if you would stop letting your desires tell you what to do. It would change the way you spend money. It would change what you do with your free time. It would change the way you talk to people. This is, this is not to make God happy. This is, this is to, so that he can do the work inside of you to make you the kind of person he created you to be. And it's not just about you. It impacts the people around you as well. Everyone around you would appreciate you getting more emotionally healthy, wouldn't they? So, are you able to look at your emotions and say, you can't, you can't tell me what to do. Like, I acknowledge and I honor this emotion. I, I ha- I, I'm not going to deny that I feel this way, but you don't get to tell me what to do. Only the Spirit of God. I, there's only one person in the universe I trust to tell me what to do, and that's the Spirit of God. Not even me, just the Spirit of God. How do you get to that place? I think the daily office is a great plan and I just want to invite you uh, along with me to, to do this. So we have some resources available for you at the table in the lobby. When you go out, it's on the left. So check this out. There's the Emotionally Healthy Spirituality book, which is, uh, I mean, if you want to just know more about this subject, if you want to dive deep, grab that book. But then there are two other books that uh, are based on the daily office. One is called Just Emotionally Healthy Spirituality Day by Day. Um, these are smaller books. You'll, you'll, you'll recognize them. And it's short, five-minute devotionals uh, multiple times a day for 40 days. The other one, the companion to that, is called Emotionally Healthy Relationships Day by Day. And this is one that just really, it, it walks you through this stuff, but it focuses on how you interact with and treat other people. 
And my family, uh, we're doing the Emotionally Healthy Relationships day by day through this summer. So we started a week ago. We just keep this book out on the table. Everybody grabs it when they get a chance, and they do their you know, daily office, and then you put it back in the spot. And then last night, we, we kind of sat down, and we talked about what we've been reading over the week. And it was, it was really helpful. I mean, everybody had something to share that they had gotten out of it. And we're talking about how this impacts how we relate to each other and then to people outside of our family. So it's helpful for us. And I think it can be helpful for you. So again, here, here's the rule when it comes to disciplines like this. If it works, do it. If it doesn't work, find something that works. This is not the only thing, but I encourage you to give it a try. Just try it. Try, try one of those books. Get all the way through the 40 days. And if at the end of this you go, no, this is not for me, find something else. But if it works, do it. Do it again. So those resources are out there. There's also uh, a little half sheet that is kind of like, okay, that sounds like a long process, and it, and it is. What can I do right now? Give me some tips right now for not letting my emotions control me. So there are, there's a sheet with seven tips, like quick tips for just, you know, how do I just calm down and not, not react and respond to what I'm feeling? So there's some tips out there. And then again, the feelings wheel is out there for all of, all of those of you that, that just need to talk about your feelings better, right? So every man in this room should grab a feelings wheel, all right? Um, so here's why this is so important. Here's why we're, we're offering these resources and we're taking some time to, to talk about this. It's because Jesus said in John 15 that when you produce this kind of fruit, that's how I know that you're really my disciple. So there's something on the line here. It, it, it's kind of a measure of of whether when you say you're a Christian, whether you really mean it or whether you're just saying it because you think that that's kind of, you know, that's what that I go to church, so I'm a Christian, right? No, Jesus says it's not, it's not your church attendance that I'm looking for. It's not your, how many Bible verses you got memorized. It's the fruit of your life. Your fruit will tell me if you are truly my disciple. So what's your fruit saying to Jesus? And is there a way? Is there a way to produce better fruit? Remain in Christ. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for the opportunity to study this this morning and have this um, challenge kind of laid on our hearts. God, I pray that we would all get better at guarding our hearts above all else. It would be something that we spend time and, and energy and prayer focusing on. God, I pray that we would all get better at telling our emotions, no. That saying to our desires, you can't tell me what to do. God, that, that you would, through the power of your Holy Spirit, you would shape us into people who are characterized by the fruit of the Spirit. And God, that, that through that, you would begin to bless the people in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, in our families, that they would see that Jesus is alive and well and, and that he loves them and is pursuing them with a relationship in mind. God, would you do that through us as we learn uh, to get better at this? We pray that you receive glory for every good thing that happens. In Christ's name, amen.